All right, we are doing now Monday of the combined portions of Bahar Bechukosai, which means we know we're about two weeks before the holiday of Shavuos because the custom is that the portion of Bechukosai is always read not the Shabbos directly before Shavuos, but the Shabbos before that. <coughs> As Bechukosai contains the, the curses, that we're supposed to receive. We receive the Torah with all of these warnings. So we want it right before Shuas, but we don't want it right before Shuas because it's um, harsh. And we don't want to go into the holiday with that energy. So we want it the Shabbos before, which means in, after, in two Shabbos Shuas. Get your cheesecakes ready. All right, we are in chapter 25, verse 19. What we were just discussing at Sunday, in the end of Sunday's portion was the idea of the Shemitah, the sabbatical year, the Yovel, the Jubilee year. We were discussing if the field, that if a person had a field and he sells it, an ancestral field, then Ultimately, it's returned to him in the beginning, as we're going to learn today, in the beginning of the Yovel of the Jubilee year. And therefore, it's sold on that premise. <coughs> Meaning, <coughs> excuse me, its price would fluctuate. If we're 10 years away from the, Shmi, from the Yovel year, it would probably be double the price of if we were five years away from the Yovel year. And it would be half the price if we were 20 years away from the Yovel year. Because when they sold it, they sold it with a calculation of, well, how many years are left to the Jubilee, to the Yovel, because then it goes back. So in essence, I'm, this is a long, long-term rental. So that's where we're holding. So we're discussing these concepts, the sabbatical year, the, the Jubilee year, the selling of the fields, the returning of the fields in the Jubilee year. So verse 19, And the land shall yield her fruit, and you shall eat until you have enough, and dwell safely in it. So Rashi explains that you're, the land's going to give you the fruit, you're going to be safe. Safe here in this context means you're not going to be scared that there's going to be drought and you won't have food. Now obviously, again, the Jews originally were a completely agrarian society. You know, we're not going to the supermarkets. We're, we're eating the fruit of our field. And you shall eat and you'll have enough. You'll be satisfied. So Ashi explains, this is another blessing, not just a blessing that there'll be food, but a blessing that the food will satiate you. Meaning even if you eat a little, it's going to fill you up. That's going to be a special blessing. Verse 20, and if you'll say, what are we going to eat in the seventh year? Oh, we're not allowed to plant, we're not allowed to gather in our produce. When I gather, Rashi explains, not gather into the house. You could eat in the fields, but you can't bring it into the house. Our produce, the wine, the fruits, the aftergrowth. Verse 21. Like, what are we going to eat? I mean, it is an incredible concept, the commandment of the sabbatical year, which, which, which continues until today. Of course, today it's not biblical in nature because the entirety of the Jewish people or the high majority of the Jewish people are not in Israel. It, but it is rabbinic, and it is till this day a tremendous challenge. 
Imagine being told for one year you're not allowed to work. Well, you still have to pay your bills. You still have to eat. <laughs> you, you still have to pay your mortgage, but you're not allowed to work. What are you supposed to do instead? Are we supposed to get a different job for the year? No. You're supposed to learn Tyra. That's the idea. You're supposed to stop working to learn Tyra. So it's not like we're going to say, all right, so for a year I'll pump gas. No, that's not the point. We're well, supposed to stop the work and instead learn the Tyra. Tremendous, tremendous commandment really expressing this absolutely super rational bond between the Jew and God. So first one says, you're a little scared. What are you going to eat? So verse 21 says, I'm going to command my blessing on you in the sixth year. It shall bring forth produce for three years. And you could say, wait a minute, three years? I thought the spell clear was one year. Rashi explains, you need it for three years because the seventh year is the sabbatical year. So in the sixth year, you need all this blessing. So from, from, for the second half of the sixth year, you need all this blessing for this enormous amount of produce to come in to cover you the entire seventh year and to cover you for, for, you know, the first half, at least, of the eighth year. Meaning, in the eighth year, you're allowed to tend the land normally. But, you know, these are products. It's not like going into Walmart. You're going to start planting in the eighth year. It's going to take six months until you can reap the harvest of the eighth year. So you need enough food in the sixth to last for the second half of the sixth, which is what normally is supposed to last. You know, keep it going. The entire seventh and the first half of the eighth. That's three years. And it will be. 21. And you shall plant the eighth year and eat of the old produce until the ninth year. Until the beginning of the ninth year. Until Sukkot of the ninth year. Because Sukkot is a holiday of gathering in the produce. So, in essence, Sukkot of the ninth year is when they took all the plantings of the eighth year that had been in the field and brought it into the house. Because until Sukkot's time, they would keep it all in the field. It's, it's very dry in Israel. It only rains in the winter, so they had no fear of anything happening to it. So the produce is all the fields and the granaries. And in Tishrei is a time. That's why Sukkot is called the Hag Hag Asif. It's when we bring the gatherings into the house. So what we're really saying is the land is producing for half of the six, like it always needs to, going into the seven, the entirety of the seven, then going to half the eighth. And Rashi says sometimes it had to produce for four years. So what if it was a jubilee year, a jubilee year? They had an extra year, two years in a row, the 49th year. Again, this we count cycles of seven, but we also count accumulatively until 50. So every year would be known where it's holding vis-a-vis the count of seven and the count of 50. So when you get to that 50th year, the year before it was the 49th. means it was the sabbatical year. So in such uh, a situation of the Jubilee year, the land in the sixth year, which is also the 48th year, has to produce enough food for the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, for the 48th, 49th, 50th, and half of the 51st. And it did. 23. And the land shall not be sold eternally, for the land is mine. For strangers and settlers, you are with me. You can't sell the land forever. So this is, now of course we discussed this yesterday in Sunday's portion, or the end of Sunday's portion. So what are we saying it again here for? So Rashi explains 
this is putting a negative transgression on the command that we discussed yesterday, the positive command of returning the land to the original field owners during the Jubilee, the Ovel. So now we're saying it in the negative. So if a person would transgress this, they'd be transgressing the positive and the negative. Now, well, why, what do you mean? It's also, if you think about it, like I was thinking, imagine if, if I knew in three years I had to give back my house to someone else that used to own it 47 years ago. You know, who owned my house 47 years ago? I got no clue. It wasn't the owner I bought it from. So the land is mine, the verse says. Rashi says, don't be upset about it. It's not yours. This land is God's, and God is saying, ultimately, I want to go back to its ancestral portion. So every 50 years, we, like, resync the clocks. All the land goes back to the original owners. We start all over again. Verse 24, and all the lands of your possessions, you shall give redemption for the land. So why is there all the lands of your possessions? Raj explains, because it's not just the land. It's also the houses that will be restored. It's also the Jewish slaves that will be restored. So lots of different things are happening here. Um, that's the simple way of understanding it, based on the flow from the previous verses. Rashi says another way of understanding it is actually going forward to what we're going to discuss in the next verse, which is the idea of redeem, going back to this concept of redeeming this ancestral inheritance. And we're being told here that after two years, once you sell it, as we learned yesterday, uh, the person gets to get two years out of it, and then you can redeem it. You or any of your relatives can redeem it, and the person, the owner, the buyer can't say, but, well, I bought it fair and square. I know you're getting it back in the Jubilee year, but I, I invest a lot of money in it because I know there's 45 years till the Jubilee year, so it's worth it for me. I, put a, I built this up a lot, thinking I'm going to have 45 years of harvest. No. At any point in time, the owner or any of his relatives, whoever can pull together the money, is allowed to buy back this land, and there's nothing the current owner can do about it. Verse 25. And now we're going to discuss today, and we're going to continue with this tomorrow, all these concepts of people that sold their ancestral portions and the laws of when and how they're allowed to buy it back. Because we really do feel that the land should stay with those original families. And therefore the system is set up that people can buy back their property, buy back their land, buy back their homes. The homes we'll discuss tomorrow. Verse 25. If your brother is poor and sells some of his possessions, then shall come his relative, the one that's closest to him, in the relative line. It doesn't mean emotionally, but it means in terms of the, the bloodline. And to redeem that which his brother sold. So if your brother's poor and sells, why'd well, have to say your brother's poor? What if you just decided you want some extra cash, you want to buy a boat, you want to take a trip, so you're going to sell a field? No, you're not allowed to do that. You're supposed to keep your field. So you're only allowed to sell your fields if you're poor. And then it says to yourself, some from his possessions, because even if you do have to sell, because you are poor, you should keep something for yourself. So what do you do at this point? So what we're saying in this verse, what we didn't mention before, is the concept of relatives. That it's interesting, if you know the book of Rus, which sort of connects to Shus, of course, most of the world Chabad does not, but most of the world reads it on Shavuos. 
So when Ruth appeals to Boaz, basically to marry her, to perpetuate the memory of her dead husband, Machlon, through this Leverite, through this Yiba marriage, and Boaz says, well, I'll take care of it, but I'm not the closest relative in line. There's a closer relative. I'm a cousin to Machlon. There's an uncle, Tuv. That's closer in the bloodline. And then the next day in the in the rabbinical court, the first thing Boaz asked, asked Tuv, his uncle, is if he would redeem the fields that Naomi and Russ are very poor and they're going to sell their fields and it's supposed to stay in the family. And Tuv says, yes, I will. And he says, well, this comes with a package deal. Will you marry Ruth to perpetuate Machlon's memory? He said, no, no, I'm not doing that. You take over this commandment. But we see here this concept of buying the fields. Now, this was a little different because Ruth hadn't sold them yet. But it's the same idea. Boaz is saying, hey, Ruth and Nomi are super poor. They're going to sell their fields, but it's supposed to stay in the family. And he appealed to Tuv instead of himself. The Boaz was very righteous and was willing to do it completely, as we see he did do it. And he was very wealthy. He had the means to do it, but as this verse is saying, it glows in the bloodline of the closest relative first. So if somebody's so poor that they're going to sell their fields, all of their close relatives have an obligation to try to help buy it back. And as Rashi says, the buyer can't prevent it. Verse 26, and a man who has no one to redeem it, and then he becomes wealthier, he has the, the means for it, and he's able to redeem it. So it says he doesn't have any to redeem it, doesn't mean he doesn't have relatives. Obviously everyone must have some relatives that, you know, go far enough away, you got a relative. But it means a relative who has the financial ability to redeem this field. And as Rashi is going to explain, um, we're saying a significant financial ability because you have to buy back everything in one shot. Like, you do have the ability to buy it back, and the current owner can't protest, but you're, you don't harass them to the degree of saying, okay, today I'm going to get this piece, and, and, and in a week I'll get that piece, or a few more acres, a few more. No. The only time you're allowed to buy it back is if you buy the entire thing that was sold, and therefore that takes probably considerable resources. And therefore, you might not have any redeemers, even they got lots of cousins and lots of siblings, lots of uncles, because you need people that have the means to do this. Verse 27, but at this point we're saying the person himself has grown sufficiently financially solid to be able to redeem it himself. Then let him count the years of the sale and restore the extra to the person who he sold it to. And he should be returned to him his possessions. No, sorry. And he should be shoved and he should return until his possessions. Meaning the original owner is now returning back to his ancestral possessions. So he has to count the years of the sale. So as we explained, and I explained this yesterday, I explained a little more today, the person has his field. When he's originally selling the field, the price is determined based on how many years is there until the jubilee. I'm just going to take simple numbers to make this work. Let's say there were 20 years left to the Jubilee, and they sold the fields for $200,000. 10000 a year for the remaining 20 years. He gets $200,000. He gets his fields. 
Now it's 10 years later. And he says, okay, I thank God I've done very well in these past 10 years. I have the money to buy back my fields. And the owner has to say, okay. He can't say, I don't want to sell it to you. He doesn't have that choice. I don't need your money. He doesn't have that choice. He has to sell it. Well, how much does he have to pay? Well, very simple, Rashi says. You pull out the original deed of sale. What did he sell it for? 200000 How many years were there till Jubilee? 20. Okay, so in essence, we're selling over 10000 a year. Well, guess what? You've had 10 years of it, and there's 10 years left. So here's $100,000, and I get my land back. So there's no negotiating, bargaining. There's no concept of how much is it currently worth, you know, the inflation index, you know, what our current property is going for in the market. We, we, don't, we ignore everything. The only thing that has any value at this moment is how much was the land sold for, how many years then was there to the Jubilee, and how many years now. That is the only factors that are taken into consideration. It's irrelevant if the land, in contrast to current sales, is worth far more or is worth far less. It has nothing to do with it. We look at what was originally sold for, look at how many years of the Jubilee, which means that we're saying, okay, this is in essence how much you paid per year. And now it's how many years you had, now it's how many years left. This is what you receive. Rashi points out the reason why it says to the the man who he sold it to is these laws only apply if you're redeeming it from the original purchaser. But if the person you sold it to sold it to someone else, then you're stuck. You have to wait till Jubilee. You cannot buy it back. None of the, I mean, of course, the person wants it, sold to you, he could. But this obligation to buy it back and this concept of buying it back within this very strict box of this was the sale price, this was the year to Jubilee, that's how we determine the price, it has no bearing on a secondhand seller, secondhand buy. Uh, verse 28, the last verse of today's section. But if he doesn't have the means to restore it himself, then it's going to remain what he sold in the hands of the one who bought it until the Jubilee year, and it should go out in the Jubilee year, in the Oval year, and he should return until his possession. The exact same phrase we ended the previous verse with. I mean, almost a reassurance, like, at the end of the day, you're going to go back to your possession. It would be nice if you could buy it back now in your lifetime. I mean, again, 50 years is a long time depending on the age of the man when he originally sold it, he might never see it back. But it's going to come back. It's going to come back to your family. That's God's system. Um, Rashi just comments that the verse says if he doesn't have enough to restore it himself, you could say, well, can't he do something? He cares so much about his own ancestral land. No, because you have to buy the whole thing, as we said earlier, in one shot. Therefore, you need the 200000 or whatever it will be at this moment, the entirety of the price, to buy anything back. And another comment I also mentioned earlier, it says it's going to be restored until the Jubilee year. That's where you're getting back, until the Jubilee year, meaning we don't enter into the Jubilee year. As soon as the Jubilee year begins, right away it's released. The slaves... Don't go away, go away, Rosh Hashanah of the Jubilee year. Um, they go away Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, as we learned yesterday, is the whole Jubilee year. The Yovel is a term for a shofar, 
and that shofar is blown, signifying the freedom of all on Yom Kippur, on the 10th of Tishrei. But the restoration of the fields is from the very first day of Tishrei, from Rosh Hashanah. So you don't enter into the Jubilee year with someone else's property. On the first day of that Jubilee year already, it's returned to the original, original ancestral owners. 